You got your Bibles? Whoa, there's no screen. You need some help there, Steve? Okay. Amen. Do you have your Bibles with you? We're going to turn to Romans 1. And um, we're going to be dealing tonight with something that, I don't know, from the feedback I've gotten, I guess I have some guts because everybody's acting like I do. But let me tell you why we're going to deal with this tonight. Number one, because I've been doing a series on exposing cultural lies. In a day of mass media, radio, television, film, and in a day when I would say the majority of the media has been co-opted by um, non-Christian, non-biblical worldviews by people who do not embrace the values by and large that you and I do. So therefore, a lot of the feedback that we get from the media, a lot of the constant hammering has to do with um, viewpoints that go against Scripture. And so we talked about evolution. Just this week I've seen so many things on evolution and uh, how evolution is really losing steam in the West. Uh, Tonight I'm going to deal with a, a subject that I feel like has been so hammered into the minds of American people that it's just got to be addressed from the Word of God. I feel like I have been told, put up your dukes and tell me what the Bible really says. We're going to be dealing with homosexuality. And uh, i got to tell you, folks, it's a vicious battle out there on this topic. There is a tremendous brainwashing that is going on uh, frighteningly in our schools. I know that a couple of weeks ago there were a group of people who spoke to high school students in Boulder, Colorado, and those high school students were told, have sex, have sex with anyone you want to, whenever you want to. If it's same sex, that's okay. Go have drugs too. Go take drugs and go have sex. Experiment. Nothing is wrong. Well, we're going to see tonight that Scripture does not agree with that at all. I learned a long time ago, when all else fails, follow directions. And I have built my life on the Word. And I've never seen the Word fail me. People have failed me, but the Word has never failed me. Not, not ever. And so tonight we're going to look at what the Scriptures say. I think this is another cultural lie that this particular lifestyle doesn't matter, is not wrong, that it's only a matter of a choice, and whichever you choose, there's nothing wrong with it. And uh, there's no consequences. It's okay with God. And uh, I know I go against the grain of a lot of what is out there. I think what particularly has bothered me is the proponents of this lifestyle have gone out there and said the Bible really says nothing about it. Jesus said nothing about it. It's not in the Bible. It is not condemned in the Bible. Oh, unless you go into the Old Testament, and then it's condemned. Well, we're going to see tonight that's just not true. And um, I share what I share in compassion. I'm not being condemning. Everybody has their struggles. 
everybody. And this is going to deal with one of the arenas of struggle. If you're struggling in this area, this arena, in your personal life, don't feel condemned for me. I, if, if I were struggling with it and were sitting out there, I'd want my pastor to stand up and help me take a stand and stand in the truth. How many of you can say, I know the Bible is the Word of God? All right, then let's stand together. And we're going to read uh, out loud where we kind of left off last week, and we're going to go from there. A lot of Bible tonight. Let, read this out loud with me, would you? But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight, and we pray for special grace and anointing to minister this Word in truth as it is in Your Word. We receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and say, buckle your seatbelt. Okay. Now, last time, if you were here last week, we saw that God has clearly re revealed Himself in the creation. And mankind can either accept or reject the testimony of creation. Evolution provides cover for those who want to reject it. It sort of gives you a scientific out, although evolution has never been proven. Not ever. All right. Now, notice he talks about suppressing. You see up there in the verse where he says, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Well, what does suppress mean? The word suppress means to hold something down. I kind of picture a jack-in-the-box. You're cranking that thing, and it wants to, to pop out, but I learned as a little kid that if you hold that lid down, it, it can't get out, and you, you push it down. Now, they're, they're, Paul here is talking about a concerted effort, a, a purposeful, intentional effort to push truth down. Now, I ask you, do you see that in our day? in our country? If you're trying to remove the nativity scenes from every public square, you don't want the Ten Commandments on school walls, you don't want prayer at football games, you do not want the mention of Jesus or God in the public arena, and you have organizations like the ACLU, who I call the Against Christian Liberties Union, doing everything they can to what? suppress the truth. I'll tell you what, it's time for us to fight back with knowledge, with knowledge. Now, the truth they are holding down is not the gospel of Christ. That's not what Paul's talking about because all men don't know about the gospel of Christ. The truth he's talking about is the truth of a supreme being whose existence is clearly evident through his created universe. 
and to whom worship and obedience are due. And this is where Romans 1 is going. And I want you to just catch it now because we're going to see a progress, a, a declining staircase down into the abyss. And it begins with this. The human race refuses to acknowledge this, the existence of God, and goes on in its sin. Now, what we're about to see in verses 21 through 32 of Romans 1 is the gradual decline of lost mankind into depravity. I'm only going to use words that the Bible uses. This isn't going to be Wickwire-isms. This is what the Bible says. I'm just going to give you Bible words. I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself tonight. One commentator wrote, the last nine verses in the first chapter of Romans are the most terrible in the Bible. This is the picture of mankind abandoned by God, and the scene is a frightful one. Now let's look at these deadly steps and where they lead. First, it says in the Bible that they refuse to be thankful. Now they, the they here, are the ancient civilizations. Paul is looking back in history. He's in the first century. He's 21 centuries ago. But he's looking back behind him. He's got Greece. He's got, he's got uh, Egypt. He has Babylon. He's looking back at the ancient civilizations. So when he says they, he's talking about the civilizations that have gone before him. That's who the they is. So when he says when they knew God, Remember what he's already told us by the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, the sky, the stars, the trees, all the beauty. I read this week, over a million species of mammals alone. He says, when they saw all these things and knew that God was there, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But look what happened to them when they said, I'm not going to glorify God, and I'm not going to be thankful. Folks, i got to tell you, I can't, I can't express to you how much I've seen in, just in this study the power of glorifying God and being thankful to Him. Because these people, these ancient civilizations, began their decline by refusing to glorify the living God. And they weren't thankful to Him. So, so who would have ever thunk it that that was the first step into such an abyss that if they could have seen where that first step would take them, they'd have hit their knees and said, I glorify you, I glorify you. But look what happened when they didn't glorify God. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Say with me, God out, darkness in. When you push the light out, darkness will fill the vacuum every time. So in their religion, they removed God as creator. They removed Him as creator. In their lives, they were ungrateful by the abuse of His gifts. They didn't worship Him and they didn't thank Him. Now it says they became vain in their imaginations. What was the darkness that rushed in? Well, here it is. 
That word, uh, that little phrase, became vain, means to be devoid of force, devoid of truth, devoid of success, devoid of results. They said, we don't need God, and they stepped away. And the philosophy they embraced, and there was a, tons of them, and they had many, many different gods they worshipped instead of the, the living God and the true God. We're going to see that in a moment. But when they did this, when they put God out, their success in life, I believe the, the ability to have joy, to find genuine answers to the dilemmas and the questions and the perplexities of life, they didn't find genuine answers. They became vain in their imaginations. The word vain today means proud, but that is not the Bible meaning of vain. The Bible meaning of vain is futile, that which is void of success. It's the futility of the mouse on the hamster's wheel, working but getting nowhere. I'm thinking and I'm looking for answers, but I'm getting nowhere. It's futile. And I'm going to tell you something. Of all things I can imagine, I would not want God turning me over to it. It's futility. That means you study and study. You get nowhere. You work and it produces nothing of value. You're on a, you're on a hamster's wheel putting all kinds of energy into your search, but because you put God out, it, it winds up in futility. You come up with no real answers. The human race, unwilling to glorify God and be grateful, became unsuccessful in its reasonings, vain, futile in their imaginations. Their godless philosophies led nowhere and produced no lasting results. You know, I've got to tell you something, church. People who are wondering about life and want some answers, you're going to find them or you're not going to find them. And I've read a bunch of the philosophies just out of curiosity and in my studies and my personal life, a lot of the philosophies that ancient civilizations and even our current day are looking for answers in, and here's what they get. There's never peace. There's never joy. There's never the kind of answer that, that, that where you say, yes, amen. Because you can't get there without God. And that's what they're showing us. Then... They started going around saying that they were wise, professing that they were wise. And it says, Paul says they became fools. Alleging to have wisdom, they in truth became morino. That's the, the Greek word, morino. And we get from that word moron. And that's exactly what he said. In the, professing to be wise, they became morino. Moronic in their thinking. See, you can have a high IQ and be stupid. You can have a high IQ, and if you don't submit that to God, you just come up with more confusion because you can think better. Just because you're thinking doesn't mean you're getting anywhere. These people thought, but they didn't get anywhere. Uh, it means to be silly, foolish, play the fool, be stupefied, dull, sluggish, stupid. That's what it means. They became moronic in their thinking. They put God out, and moronic thinking came in, thinking that brought no results. Now, in the next verse, we come to another step down towards utter depravity, and it's a big one. It's what I want to call the first dark exchange. Can you read this next with me, everybody? 
and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and serpents. God out, darkness in. God out, foolishness in. The word exchange in that verse means to cause one thing to cease and another to take its place. To exchange one thing for another. The human race in this sad, exchanged the glory of God for idols. It was a foolish trade-off, the living God for a dead idol. That's a bad business deal. You give up the glory of God for a dumb idol. David said they can't talk, they can't hear, they can't see. They don't do you any good. It's a dumb idol. And he says those that make them are like them. See, we've got to realize tonight what we're going to see in this is that you become like what you worship. What you worship shapes who you become. Irrefutable principle of life. What you worship reflects where you are and it reflects where you're going to go. You're going to become, become like whatever you worship. Now the word image, they change the image of the incorruptible God into corruptible, so on and so forth. The word image is what we get our word icon from. And it means a derived likeness, which consisted in the image of a corruptible man. They made idols. They made likenesses. They made statues and figurines derived from the original. So they would make statues and figurines that looked like people. But not just to have the figurine. They worshiped them. They, they put God out and began to worship something else. And first, Paul says, they started worshiping idols that looked like people. Now, I want you to notice how their idolatry spiraled down because when you forsake God, you never remain on a steady plane. When you forsake God, according to the Word of God, you will always spiral down. If you follow Christ, you will always climb up. But if you forsake God, you will always spiral down. Now, look what happened. They began first with man, worshiping icons or images of man. But then they downgraded to birds, then mammals, and finally to worshiping the image of snakes, serpents. Paul says images, images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and serpents. Now, remember I told you Paul was looking back at the testimony of history. He was looking back at the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the civilizations that had preceded him. For instance, we know that in Greece, deities in, of human form prevailed. You, you heard all about Greek mythology. At least you were affected by it to a level when you were a kid. Greek mythology was loaded with human-like gods like Zeus and Aphrodite and others. God, the Zeus god, was a, a human being who lost his temper and, and uh, um, totally human like a man. But that's what they worshipped. But then you come over to Egypt. And Egypt worshipped animals. One historian writes, and I pulled this from a secular historian, not a uh, religious historian. 
Most popular among the Egyptians were the animal gods. In one period or another, the Egyptians worshipped the bull, the crocodile, the hawk, the cow, the goose, the goat, the ram, the cat, the dog, the chicken, the swallow, the jackal, and the serpent. Now, in our house, we've stayed with, with the dogs. No, we love them. We don't worship them. But you think I'm kidding or embell I'm not. They worshiped them. Notice, God out, foolishness in. Crazy stuff. It's humorous to us, but Paul, by the Spirit of God, is telling us that this foolishness was the result of their refusal to glorify or thank the true and the living God. Folks, do you know how healthy it is to come in here to church with a bunch of other believers and worship the true and the living God? That's why Jesus said, you better worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because, because that's what we were wired to do, worship the true and the living God. And when you do that, you're sane. But you put God out. And you get out of the Word. And you get out of prayer. And you get away from other believers. And you get out there and you isolate. And you turn yourself over to your own natural desires. And you will always go down. Now, here's irrefutable principle number one. Man away from God is always an idolater. Always. If the human race won't worship the living God, we will worship something else, for God made us to be worshipers. You may worship the state, like a Marxist, or some idea of goodness, or nature, or yourself. How many of you ever known anybody that looked in the mirror and said, there is none like you? <laughs> I'll guarantee you they're out there. They're called narcissists. They worship themselves. Now, uh, or some idea of power, or somebody else they'll worship. But you will worship something. Everyone in this room, away from God, would worship something. And the message of Romans 1 is that if you turn to idolatry, it always spirals down to depravity. Now the consequence of this idolatry with these ancient civilizations was frightful. I want you to read this next part with me. Therefore, God also gave them up. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh my. These, those are some of the most somber words in the whole Bible. And I want you to hear it again. When they refused to honor God, when they insisted on going their own way, when they wouldn't even be thankful to Him for what they had, it says, finally, there was a line in the sand. There was a line of demarcation. There was a place over which God would not let them any longer go. And God said, that's it. And God gave them up. I found three times in chapter 1 this phrase is used. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. Three times the announcement is made that the human race was abandoned by the Creator God. Now, lest you start thinking badly of God, keep in mind, He was abandoned by them, and they would not listen to any of His calls. Folks, we're the creature. 
We are the created. We are not the creator. He's the potter. We're the clay. And you can't look up and say, well, how dare you turn people over? God can do whatever He wants. And the Bible is making it clear here that God will call and God will call and God will call, but the day will come when He'll say, okay, you want to go your own way that, that badly, you go, guy. And He turns you over. We're going to talk about that, what that means in just a minute. And here's what we see in Romans 1, as He took His hands off of humanity, the human race descended more and more into the quagmire of sin. Now let's read a direct Greek translation. This is straight from the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. And because I'm so careful here to let you know that I'm pulling straight from the, the text, the, the Word of God, I want to show you a straight translation of what we just looked at. Read it with me, would you? Because knowing God, not as God did they glorify Him, nor were they grateful, but they became futile in their reasonings, and there was darkened their stupid heart. That's what it says. Let's go on. Asserting themselves to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God for a likeness of an image of corruptible man, and of birds, and of quadrupeds, and of snakes. Steps down every time. When the human race made the first dark exchange, the glory of God for dead idols, God gave them up, everybody. God gave them up. The phrase gave up means this. It means to give into the hands of another, to give over into one's power of use. It means you have been turned over to the power of something else. Since men chose to give up God and worship the creature, God could do nothing but give men into the control of the sinful things they preferred. When men persisted in following their totally depraved natures, God allowed them free reign, and God will do that. God will do that. It's like, it's like being in a household where a child is on drugs, and you say to that child, I want you to turn, I want you to repent, I want you to put them down, I want you to give this up. And they refuse, and they refuse, and they refuse. And you go to them and you say, you're disrupting the whole household. The whole household has no peace because of what you're doing. And you're not living according to my beliefs and my values. And so you've got to stop if you're going to live in this house. And then finally, you've got to practice tough love. And when they say no, then you say, all right, then, then I release you. I take my hands off of you. You go do whatever you want to do. And they are turned over. The result of having been turned over was immorality of the vilest kind, says one commentator. Another commentator writes that God's act of delivering mankind over to the control of utter human depravity was not merely permissive, but judicial. God delivered them over like a prisoner is removed from a courtroom to his cell following a verdict. It's judicial. God, in His judiciousness, said, I cannot deal with this anymore. I, I cannot let this go on without judgment. And if you think, 
He doesn't feel that way about America or any nation. It says in the Psalms, every nation will be turned into hell who forgets God. So I want you to notice in Romans 1, Paul was making it very clear, God will judge sin in, in a frightening kind of a way. We kind of think of the judgment of God as earthquakes and lightning and rumblings and crashings, but no, this is the worst when he says, go. Go after, go after your own thing. Irrefutable principle number two is rejection of God usually results in moral perversion. I want you to catch this, church. Rejection of God usually results in moral perversion because you're going to try to fill the vacuum left with, by the vacancy of God with something. Drugs, alcohol, sensuality, you're going to try to fill the vacancy with something. The human race was delivered to uncleanness, which means the impurity of lustful, luxurious, wasteful living. Paul says they were turned over to uncleanness. Now, he continues. Read this with me, can you? Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over. And I want you to look at what rushed in to fill the vacuum. It was sexual impurity. It was immorality. Now I want you to notice something in this verse. I, I kind of found this interesting that the actions they engaged in were not only flowing from lust, but from their hearts. The Bible makes it clear. He says above, I have an underline, the sinful desires of their hearts, the field of action, the, the department of their being in which this dishonor took place was first in their hearts. See, that's why I tell you, God wants your heart. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know why, everybody? Because if God is not filling your heart, something will. And you will worship it. You will worship it. And so it began in their hearts, and it was dishonor. Now read the translation with me, would you? On which account God delivered them over in the passionate cravings of their hearts to bestial, immoral living, which had for its purpose the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. When they walked away from God, and when God finally said, okay, you go, guy, and he released them, and took his hands off of them. You know what that means? No more Holy Ghost conviction. No more nudges from God. The, no more calls from God. No more reaching out on the part of God. He turned them over. And when he did that, it immediately resulted in the dishonoring of their bodies through sexual sin. Now we come up to the second dark exchange. Everybody with me say, oh me. Amen. Now we come up to the second dark exchange. Notice again how one step down the road to depravity leads to the next like a long winding staircase descending into a basement. Because here they go more, further. They exchange the truth of God. Read it with me, everybody. They exchange the truth of God for a lie 
and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Instead of the truth of God that you're holding in your hand, instead of the truth of God, humanity embraced a lie. What was the lie? The lie was that God was dispensable and man could live without him. We don't need God. We don't need God in our schools. We don't need God taught to our kids. We don't need God in our home. We don't need God in our country, God in our government. We don't need God. Aren't we hearing that today? Now, I want you to notice that's, they exchange that truth, the reality and the necessity of God in your life for the lie that said you don't need God. You don't need God. God was dispensable and man could live without Him. This is precisely, in my opinion, what our culture has done. Now I'm going to say something I prayed about saying and I thought about it. I'm going to just, since I'm already stepping out tonight, I'm going to step out a little bit further. I'm going to tell you, I believe to a level America has been turned over. I'm not saying all of it, but it's no longer a Christian nation. Hello, y'all. It's no longer a Christian nation. It's a nation that's got a lot of Christians in it, but so does Africa. We, we, we need a revolution. We need a revival. We're not in a Christian nation. We are in an increasingly secularized nation that is walking away from God by the hour. I mean, just basically, basically just telling God where to get off in every arena of our culture. And I'm telling you tonight, God's not going to put up with that forever. He's not going to do it. Because He didn't hear, He didn't with these ancient civilizations, and He's not going to do it with us. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why I'm teaching this tonight, to get, do our little part to get His Word out there. We, we've made a trade. The truth of God is revealed in His Word for a lie. We don't need God. We'll make it without Him. So we've thrown out His Word and chosen our own way. And when the ancient world did this, they were turned over. They literally began to worship what God created. They passed by the Creator altogether. So it really best reads, rather than or instead of worshiping God, they really did worship the creature. God was completely bypassed, snubbed, and ignored. And when they were turned over, perversion took over. Do you see perversion taking over in our culture? Now we arrive at the place, right now, we're about to read the verse, where God's Word utterly disagrees with what much of our culture is saying about homosexuality. And let's just get right into this. Like a constant drumbeat, we daily hear the message that these two practices, homosexuality and lesbianism, are normal and harmless, and that if we believe or say otherwise, we are homophobic. Now let me give you an irrefutable principle number three. When men want to force change on a society, they demonize those who oppose them by propaganda techniques. This happened to the Jews in Nazi Germany. It took about 20 years, and they were totally demonized. And it's happening right now to Christians and others in the West today. And here's the buzzwords. Islamophobic, homophobic, right-wing extremist, fundamentalist, 
warmonger. If you take a stand for the values I believe we find in this book, you are demonized, depending on your level of visibility. I expect to get a few letters from this one once it goes on the radio. I'm fully prepared. Now, here's, here's my response. I suppose that means that if I believe that a kleptomaniac, somebody addicted to stealing, has moral issues, I'm kleptophobic. Let's just follow the reasoning here. Or if I believe that sex before marriage, which is fornication, is morally wrong, I'm fornophobic. Right? Or if I believe that murder of children in the womb, abortion is wrong, then I must be abortophobic. In other words, if I have a value you don't agree with, it's attached to a phobia. I can't possibly be right. That's a propaganda technique, and I refuse it and resist it. If I have a value, I'm going to say that value, talk that value, live that value. Now, watch this. If we're in a land of free speech and, and, the, and those who, who say that what we're talking about tonight is normal and okay and we should tolerate it and not only tolerate it, but never, ever, ever say anything against it, that's not a country of free speech. Don't talk to me about free speech. You are a hypocrite. If you talk to me about free speech and I can't share my values with you, free speech as long as I agree with you. My contention tonight is that the Bible does not agree with this message. The fact is that phobic means to have a dreaded fear of something, claustrophobia, whatever. I have no such dread or fear of homosexuals, none. I have a moral conviction that springs from my understanding of Scripture, and that's it. I don't fear homosexuals. I, don't f I fear the sin, what it does to people. I don't fear homosexuals, and I don't fear lesbians. Give me a break. That's propaganda. Homosexuality, based on what we're, what we're about to read, is soundly condemned by God's Word. But so are fornication, sex before marriage, adultery, sex outside of marriage, bestiality, we know, and other sexual sins other sexual sins. It's not like God is picking on homosexuality. The only reason we're answering it tonight is because of the drumbeat, the constant hammering that we shouldn't even say anything about it. I resist that as I would if we were being constantly hammered that sex with animals was normal. Do you think preachers were supposed to be talking about the truth? God's standards, His Word of absolutes. But since we're being hammered all the time about this one issue, let's let the Bible speak for itself. I'm not phobic. I have claustrophobia. I'm trying to get better. 
Uh, no, I'm not phobic anything. As Christians, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. Now, let's look at the third time. Here comes the third time we read the sobering words. Read it with me, can you? Because of this, God gave them over to vile affections. What kind? Is that what it says? Okay, let's just look at it now. Even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. Well, let's go down and see what he says about the men. That's verse 26. Here comes the men in verse 27. And likewise, read it with me, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, indecent, shameful, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Now let's look at some of the key words and let Scripture speak for itself. Affections. You see that up there? Uh, vile affections. God gave them over to vile affections. What is affections? It means a passion. But the word vile is very strong. It comes from a Greek word meaning dishonor, total loss of dignity, and disgrace. That's that's what Romans 1 says. There's no getting around that. No getting around it. The passions controlling the people Paul is speaking about cause them to put an incorrect appraisal upon the sacredness and the dignity and the purity of the physical body and use it in a way which dishonored it. Paul is calling homosexual and lesbian sex dishonoring. That's what he's calling it. I let the man speak for himself. Let God speak for himself. If this is the Word of God, this is what it says about it. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. Now, this really intrigued me. The New Testament was written in what language? Greek. Now watch this. When you get into little word studies with these, these words that he used like women, the word he chose for women is not the word used to respectfully or endearingly address a woman. It is the word female, period, which he uses for purely anatomical purposes. He's saying there's a female, not a, 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 a word of respect, but there's a female. That's what he's saying. He did the same thing with the, the word men. He didn't say anthropos, men, but by using the Greek word for male, meaning male anatomically as opposed to female anatomically. He just said, there is a male. I'm talking about males and females, not men and women, males and females. That's what he uses in this verse. He said, I'm just talking about the sexual issue here. He continues, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman. That word natural is phusikos, and we get physical from it, or physique. You want to know what he's saying? He's talking about the way men and women are anatomically built. And here's what he's saying. He's addressing the nature of things, the force, the laws, the order of nature as opposed to that which is abnormal or perverse. Bluntly, he's talking about the natural way a man and woman are built for heterosexual sex. That's what the man is saying. 
So I told you it was rated PG-13. I mean, I, I, you know, let's just let it talk for itself. This is what he's saying. Female, male, made for each other, the birds and the bees. He's saying anything else is not natural. It's against nature. God didn't wire it or design it that way. That's what he's saying. Homosexual and lesbian sex, says Paul, are against nature, against nature's laws. As a result of engaging in these activities, says Paul, God gave them over. Oh. He said, after a while, God just gave them over. Now, I know what you're wondering, well, what were they given over to? Well, he answers that. In verse 24, Paul uses the word, so we're backing up a few verses. Paul uses the word in verse 24, lust, from the Greek word epithumia, which means strong desire, evil longings, wrong kind of lust, pornography kind of lust, the kind of lust that's wrong that leads to evil. That's what he's talking about with epithumia. But in verse 26, just two verses later, here we are. Remember, we're descending through this whole chapter. So two verses later, he uses the phrase vile affections that we translated from the Greek word pathos, not epithumia, lust, but pathos, meaning ungovernable, out of control, can't get it under control, affections. He's saying the divine punishment, and that's what it is, was more severe in the case of homosexuality in that they were given over to a condition, not merely an evil desire, the difference being something passing as opposed to something that stays. The turning over was not to a passing lust. Okay, ride this wave and then come on back to me. No. The turning over was to an abiding condition. The difference between what you do and who you are. Mm. Say it with me. Men with men working that which is unseemly. Unseemly means want of form, disfigurement deformed shame if something is deformed it is not the way God made it God intended Paul is stating that this form of sex is immodest and shameful that's what he's saying I'm just the messenger boy here tonight now look what it says everybody y'all with me y'all are so quiet you say why would God do this Pastor Jeff don't you understand he he tries and tries and reaches and reaches and, and calls and calls. But finally, there's no use anymore. So he turns you over. And this is where, not everybody, not everybody would go this route. But this is, what he's saying is this is where this civilization went without the restraints of God. And is our culture going this way or am I dreaming? God out, darkness in. Now, notice he says that they receive in, within, in, ace, into. 
themselves a recompense, a recompense of their error. Well, let's look at consequences for a minute. Recompense means a reward given in compensation or requital. The word here is referring to the natural result of their sin, which pays them back for what they have done. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not saying AIDS. AIDS began apparently among primates, not people. I'm not saying AIDS. I'm not really saying anything. I'm going to let the word speak for itself. But there is a consequence, and we're about to see what I think it is. As a person who says, I suppose I'm going to pay for this, they know that what they're about to do, they're going to pay for it, but they do it anyway. I guess I'm going to pay for this. You can know that if you go against nature, if you go against God's way, you're going to pay for this. We live in a world of consequences, amen? Come on, everybody. We live in a world of consequences. And if you go against God's laws, you're going to pay for this. So, well, won't he forgive me? He'll forgive you, but you're still going to pay. You'll be a, for, you'll be a paying, forgiven person. <laughs> a paying, forgiven person. <laughs> ah, I thought y'all be jumping up and yelling by now. There are, says Paul, evil consequences as ordered by divine law. When one violates the laws of nature, one must pay the price. All right, let's read the translation, and we got just a little bit more to go. Can y'all take a little bit more? Some of you are, oh, oh man. Oh. Let's read it. And likewise, also the males, having put aside the natural use of the females, burn themselves out in their lustful appetite toward one another. Males with males carrying to its ultimate conclusion that which is shameful, receiving in themselves that retribution which was a necessity in the nature of the case because of their deviation from the norm. Straight translation from the Greek language. Now the final consequence of this behavior is what Paul calls a reprobate mind. We're going to close with this. Notice three turning overs are mentioned. With this last one, this is the consequence. Read it with me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Reprobate means a mind that can no longer judge between right and wrong. I am blinded. I can't tell right from wrong anymore. Do you see that out there in our culture? Do you ever sit there and watch the news or TV and scratch your head and say, how could they not see it? Well, sometimes it's because a reprobate mind is guiding that program or guiding whatever it is you're seeing. They can't tell right from wrong anymore. That's what a reprobate mind does. Their conscience is gone. God can no longer be heard. The divine voice has been muffled into silence. Paul talked about a conscience seared with a hot iron. When this happens to a person, the last deep of evil has been reached. One commentator writes, like an old abandoned building, the home of bats and snakes, this person is left to do those things which are not fitting. I've allowed 
a simple word study to speak for itself. I'm just read to you the word. The testimony of Romans 1 is clear. And I say this in love. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. If you're fighting this, you're thinking, Pastor Jeff, this is just a terrible thing because I'm so driven to it. I feel so tempted to it. And it's that old song, how can it be so wrong if it feels so right? Feelings are not the way to truth. Feelings are not the way to truth. Our culture tells us, if you feel it, it's right. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says, if you feel it, it's liable to be wrong. Because your flesh, in it dwells no good thing. So feelings are not a way to truth. This is your only way. It is your only way. And you grab hold of it like a lifesaver. And if you're tempted in this area, you have no corner on suffering towards sexual sin, suffering temptation. Sexual sin is, um, you have no corner. If you're drawn to what we talked about tonight, listen, single people are tempted big time to compromise in the sexual arena. Uh, All, listen, across the spectrum of human existence, people are tempted to sexual sin in many different ways. And when you resist it, it is a crucifixion of the flesh. It's where you pick up your cross daily and you follow Him. And you make up your mind before you're ever in a situation of compromise. You make up your mind, it's settled, I'm not going there. You make up your mind preemptively before it's ever there so that you don't fall in fornication, sex before marriage. You don't fall into any of the arenas of sexual sin that the Bible identifies. This is not the only one. And I can tell you, there are people who have been single for years, and they wonder, when is God going to answer my prayer and give me a mate? I am tempted. And you've got to just hang on to the promises of God, decide that this is truth, and He's not going to tell you to do something He's not going to grace you to do. And don't allow yourself to get put in the situation. I really do believe avoiding the scene of temptation is 90% of the victory. Just avoid the scene. Keep yourself strong in the Word, strong in the faith. Stay in church, stay in fellowship. Imperfect as we are, we love you. And we're here for you. And together, we can have the victory in the moral arena of life. But it's a battle. And I'm not going to tell you it's not. It's always going to. I had a, <laughs> I had a friend. He's about 80-something now. And he said to me, I still get tempted. I said, don't tell me that. <laughs> he said, just because there's snow on the rooftop doesn't mean there's not a fire in the chimney. <laughs> He's 88. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's always going to be a battle. It's always going to be a battle. And so this is one area where if you say, well, I'm just... I'm born this this way. Well, if you can't obey the Word of God and switch, be celibate. Be celibate. Just like somebody single who hasn't found their mate yet. 
If they're going to walk according to the Word of God, they're going to be celibate. That's what it teaches. Okay? Well, let's stand together. I could probably stand another night of this. Next week, I'm not going to do it next week, because next week I'm going to talk about politically incorrect. We're going to deal next week with political correctness, what it is, and how it's affecting you, and how to overcome it. Politically incorrect. But I want to pray for you. We love you. If you stumbled, just get back up and ask God to forgive you, and you keep on going, and you commit yourself to His Word. It'll never fail you. Father, we thank you for your Word tonight and for your presence. We see in your word, Lord, what you think about these practices. And we leave it there. That's what you have said. We stand on your word, not our feelings. And we trust you, Lord, to give us the victory to free us from even deep and dark um, bondages that have gripped us for years. We believe that the Spirit can move into our soul and release those shackles, heal us on the inside, restore us, and bring us to a place of purity. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing and your goodness. We praise you for the truth of your word. And we just lift our hands. I'll tell you, how many of you want to thank God now and glorify him as God? Amen. Glorify him as God. Glorify him as God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you as God, Lord. And we worship you as the true and the living God. Thank you for sparing us, Lord, from the abyss and this terrible darkness that is in our culture. Help us to shine your light into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, glorify God tonight. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Well, we got a lot of food. Oh, my book. You need what?